You're listening to a CanadianMovieCrew.com production. This is a devastating security breach that was leaked out of the Pentagon. The Times has 7,000 pages detailing how the White House has been lying about the Vietnam War for 30 years. Find those pages. We're talking about exposing years of government secrets. Is that legal? What is it you think we do here for a living, kid? You'd publish. We'll be at the Supreme Court next week. Meaning? Well, we could all go to prison. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome uh, to Film Study Season 7. Uh, this is our seventh season of uh, Film Studies. I am Sean Taylor. With me today is Mean Mark. On, on a, the paper, the paper. Well, yeah, think about the paper, <laughs> the pa- right? We're talking about the paper. <laughs> and we're opening up uh, this uh, this season with uh, the post. Uh, technically, it came out in 2017, uh, but we both saw it in 2018, so we're counting it. That's right. Yep. I mean, it's one of those ones very notable from 2017, late 2017. Obviously, with the hol- holidays, we couldn't quite get to it, so we're kind of paying that forward now into 2018. Yep. Uh, so let's do a little bit of catch up first. Um, is there any movies you saw the, lately? Because I know there's uh, at the end of the year there's a lot of movies that we catch but we're not able to do recordings on. Uh, any ones that uh, pop into mind for you? Uh, the Shape of Water. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. That's going to be a really good Academy movie. Award this year. Yeah, Benicio del Toro. Um, you know, directed. Uh, uh, I mean, great casting. Um, uh, I mean, My- Michael Shannon. Holy cow! If you need a villain. And you want him to be damn well scary, like he's not. You know, he just plays a regular dude, but he's not a regular dude. Like he's just menace, okay, and righteous menace. And that is right up Michael Shannon's alley by the by the looks of it. Holy shit, he kind of stood out um, with all this kind of righteous fury about what what uh, the situation was. And it, it was it was really uh, interesting to see him watch. And then uh, Octavia Spencer, great job as a supporting role. Um, yeah, um, one of the uh, one of the actors that stood out actually to me, he, he had a role in that movie, uh, and a role in the movie we're going to talk about today. His name's Michael uh, Stuhlbarg. You you've seen him, but you're not sure where. Okay, uh, he's he's just one of those guys that kind of uh, disappears. Uh, but if I may, just a couple of his his other credits. He was in Doctor Strange as Doctor uh, Nicodemus West, so he would kind of play opposite. <clears throat> um, uh, Stephen Strange, as far as one of his his competing doctors, uh, and then uh, all the way back to Men in Black Three, you might remember him as Griffith or Griffin, excuse me, the guy from the, that can see the multiple dimensions and everything like that. Oh, so basically the, the Men in Black Three. Yeah, he's he's kind of the MacGuffin of the movie. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, uh, so he's an alien that that, uh, that our main characters save back in the sixties. So it's. Uh, that's where I first noticed him, but I never really thought much. Oh, and then I keep seeing. That's right. Yeah, this guy keeps popping up uh, all over the place, and uh, he's uh, he's a really great character actor. Uh, he does a fantastic job in that movie. Does a good job in this movie too. So okay, uh, but yeah, um, kind of different movie, uh, but it, it's worth checking out. I think just uh, for the style alone. Um, there's some unexpected things that happen that. You're probably not ready for, but it's worth the trip. Okay, what spoiler free? What's it about? Because I can't, I can't get a a firm grasp on this. Okay, so the U.S. government finds um, <clears throat> this underwater species, 
uh, of of creature, kind of like um, he looks a lot like Abe Sapien from uh, from Hellboy the, uh, Hellboy series, right? Yeah, and so they have him at this government facility. Uh, they want to test him, see what he's about. He can breathe underwater. He's, he's basically it's kind of like an, the idea of, of capturing an alien, except he comes from under like deep underwater. So it's, it takes place in I think it's the fifties. So you're during the middle of the Red Scare. You've got Russian spies and everything like that. Uh, wanting to get a hold of this thing. So there's this larger story between the U.S. government and the Russian government over this asset, <clears throat> asset that they both want to study and see what they can learn about it. Um, okay. But what we really follow is the story of uh, one of the uh, janitors um, who starts a kind of a special relationship with the creature. Uh, she's played by Sally Hawkins. And uh, so she kind of has some accidental inter- interactions and then starts to kind of develop because it's a sentient being. It's not just a beast. It's actually has thoughts and feelings and right. um, yeah. And so it, it comes out of really the, the, the main plot of the movie comes out of that, uh, that relationship that develops between the two. Okay. Um, and you also saw Jumanji too, didn't you? I did. Yeah. That was fun. That was a that was a lot of fun. I had, uh, and I'm not just saying that to kind of pass it off as like it's a shitty movie, but I don't want to put it down. <laughs> like the the unfortunate part once again, damn trailer spoiled most of the good stuff. Most of the good jokes. Okay. That you that most of the good jokes, and I, I hate to spoil it in that regard, but most of the good jokes you've seen there are here, and there there aren't as many that are as good. Like they took all the best ones and put them in the trailer. Okay. So I think which. Kind of, or most of them anyway. So it's still worth watching to kind of get the context, and there's some fun action, and and uh, it it actually I like it uh, kind of better than the first one. Okay. Um, with yeah, with, it's it's kind of like a cool uh, Tomb Raider meets Tron. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the first one I think we can do for, or is it eventually down the line? No, uh, maybe. I mean, no no disrespect to Robin Williams, oh, it no, was no, fun no. too. But like, it, it's one of those fun movies. But I think uh, it was in the '90s. Yeah, and th- this one kind of speaks more to the video game generation, yeah. which I know you and I are kind of a part of going back to like the original Nintendo. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It starts off with an eight-bit game, and which is you know kind of ha- hits us right in the feels, and then it, it you know once they get in, it's just real people doing stuff. So yeah, plus it's the rock, uh, and so it's the rock. Yeah, well, and, well it's uh, Rock, yeah. Karen Gillian, it's Jack Black, Kevin Hart. Yeah, great cast. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and everyone does a great job of like. They're not them, right? Like it's not the Rock being the Rock; it's the Rock being this kid, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's, and the Rock's very good too. Yeah, yeah. And Jack Black does a great job of playing a teenage girl. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that that's actually more. The, uh, uh, to be honest, a lot of the the fun the fun stuff is actually with uh, you know, like I said, spoiled. But there's more of Jack Black pretending to be this girl, right? That you're like, holy shit! Like he, you, you start to believe that there's that there's a, a young woman trapped in that body, right? And that's where the, some of the stuff that luckily, you know, the trailers didn't spoil. So it's, de- it's still worth checking out in my in, in my mind. Okay, how about you? Um, I saw three billboards outside of uh, Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, uh, your challenge to me was to watch more. Um, we'll say serious movies. Sure. Or adult yeah. films. Um, so I figured I'll <clears throat> figure I'll, I'll check this one out. This one's getting a lot of Oscar uh, nominations, and it's getting a lot of hype. 
And won some Golden Globes, did it not? Won some Golden Globes too, and uh, so I, I checked it out. Uh, it's the story of a mother whose uh, daughter is raped and murdered. Oh my god! Uh, before this movie ever happens, it's a year later, and she's in Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, so it's sort of a racist small town cop type thing, and uh, the crime has not been solved. And she notices three billboards along an outskirt highway road um, that has nothing on them and hasn't had anything on them for a long time. So she buys them and puts up um, uh, raped while dying. Uh, no arrests were made. Uh, how come? Uh, how come Chief Willoughby or something like that? Oh, wow. So it's drawing a lot of attention to her daughter's murder case. Um, and it's sort of about the fallout that happens and the townspeople and the effect that it has on the townspeople. Holy cow. Uh, for that. I don't know if it's based on the true story. Um, I don't think so. Um, and at the beginning, I, I, the beginning of the movie, I thought, okay, well, this is just Oscar bait. You know, it's Francis McDormand, uh, Sam Rockwell's in it. Well, um, and that's the thing. I thought it was a comedy. No, no, no. Yeah. Like, I, I got, like, I, I couldn't get a read on this one, so thanks for no. explaining it to me. I'm, I'm like, oh, it's the same guys who made, uh, um, oh, you know, comedy. Never mind. Sorry, go okay. ahead. <laughs> um, no, no, it's definitely not a comedy, but there's a big cast. It's got Peter Dinklage. Um, it's got Sam Rockwell. Like I said, of course, um, the chief is, um, oh, oh, God, uh, Zombieland and, um, Woody Harrelson? Woody Harrelson. Oh, wow. See, with guys like Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson, you're not sure if you're getting a comedy or a drama, right? If you just hear those two guys are in a movie, you have no idea. And then with such a title like Three Billboards, I thought it was like another uh, Big Lebowski. That's what I was looking for. Right, right. I can understand. Uh, I I mean, again, not knowing, not seeing much by way of trailers, like I didn't really, I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, And like I said, at the beginning, I thought it was very, very Oscar Beatty. Uh, you know, it's a serious subject and, you know, a lot of character development. But as the movie started to go on, I, I started really enjoying it. I started started getting involved in, in the the interesting things that happen and the characters and, and how they're played and how they interact and the things that happen are very realistic. Um, unfortunately, and I won't spoil it, but unfortunately, the ending sucks. Oh, and it's to the okay. point where I, it ruined the entire movie for me. Oh, no. Because... The one thing that you want solved, or the one thing that they sort of tease throughout the movie, is never is never resolved. Oh, that's too bad. And um, I guess it's maybe it's one of those art films where you know it's supposed to leave it up to the audience is to see what you know. How do you feel about this, and what do you think ended? And I think that's just lazy. Tell me the story. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'm sort of a story guy. You need to tell me an encapsulating story or leave it off to the fact that there may be a sequel and there's not going to be a sequel in this. Um, now the acting is great. Um, like I said, all, all the way up to it, it was, uh, it, it was, it was a great movie. Really interesting. Uh, really kept my attention. Uh, unfortunately the ending sucked for me. So hmm. would I recommend it? Yeah. Still recommend but. No. Be warned. Yeah, I gotta be honest. I'm not really. It's it's actually really really good. Like it's really <laughs> really good up until the end. And maybe it's just me with the ending, but okay. 
But today we're talking about uh, The Post, starring Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. Um, right now, this is one of those ones where I mentioned during our 2018 challenge that I said, okay, if my sister wants to go see one. Right. Because, like, you know, she, this isn't just uh, – these movies just aren't the only thing that's her style. Like, she's already making plans for for us to all go to see Black Panther. And right. She, was, she saw Thor Ragnarok and Justice League, so she's in for that. But she picks out these movies, too. Uh, her and my nephew are both uh, kind of history buffs. Okay. So, yeah, so they actually enjoy this even more than I did. Right. Um, but this is one of those ones where I'm like, okay, and then I text you, and like she said, <laughs> the post, <laughs> so here we – so I appreciate you taking up the that first challenge. Yeah. Well, I, I figure I should expand my re- my repertoire. Plus, we're almost near the end of January. We have, hadn't, haven't had a film studies yet, so I thought we should <laughs> yeah. get, get on the ball here, so. Uh, yeah, so this is the story of uh, the Washington Post and how it became to prominence uh, during the Richard Nixon administration uh, when all of the information and uh, sort of uh, secret documents are, are leaked to the press about the Vietnam War, which they were, which America was losing. Um, and it's it's up to them to sort of whether or not they want to release it, uh, re- like release this information and. and and risk their public offering that they just started. Yeah. Um, and then uh, prison. And prison time as well. Yeah. Um, so this is that this is the story. It's based on the true story, obviously. Uh, overall, Mark, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know much about the subject matter. I, I American history for me is basically what I can get from movies and TV. Um, and because I'm, I'm Canadian, that's not what we were taught in school. We were taught Canadian history, so. Um. It was uh, it was kind of eye opening in terms of like almost being a history lesson. Uh, I think that if you if you if I was teaching an American history class about this time period, this is something that I would show the class because it's it's extremely well acted. Um, you know, while there's known actors, they kind of you know as I like to say disappear into the roles. Um, yeah, you know what I mean, like like even a David Cross, he doesn't you know who's a comedian. David Cross is in this movie. See. That's exactly my point. See, we had this conversation about Alison Brie because she's in this movie too, and I didn't even recognize her. And I right. love Alison Brie. Well, me too. I, I didn't see until the second scene she was in. I didn't even know it was her. But once I saw her, like in a better light, I was like, "Oh my god, that's Alison Brie!" That was that was awesome. But David Cross is in this. Who's David Cross and, in this movie? And you don't. Well, he he works with uh, Tom Hanks. He's he's one of the. Uh, he's sporting a bit of a dude gut there, and. Um, oh, is he the guy that gets the? Uh, Documents dropped off to him? Nope. Okay. Yep. No, no. He's uh, or just one of the writers. Uh, Howard Simmons. Yeah. He's one of the, I think he's one of the, the chief editors because he, he seems to be in a lot of the meetings with Hanks. Okay. Yeah. There's him and Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk I recognized. Of, yeah. Yeah. But uh, the, they have a lot of scenes together. Um, and now for me, there, there's a lot of names being whipped around that I, I had no idea because I, I didn't even know this, to be honest, that this story even existed. Like this idea that the Pentagon knew that they were going into a losing battle. That's, that was my takeaway. Yeah. With respect to the Vietnam War, they kind of knew before it even started that they might not win and yet they went ahead with it anyway. Yeah. And that and was the I big scandal about the Vietnam War um, is that is the, is the – U.S. knew going in that this was not going to be a good war, but they did it in order to sort of further the greatness of the American ideal. And I think to suppress the Russians. And also, yeah, and, and right. well, to show so, strength 
to the American people against the Russians, even though against communism, against yeah. communism, even though at that point, uh, and I imagine the uh, American government knew, but I mean, the Russia couldn't afford to feed its own people at the time. But at the time, America didn't know that because they were told that the Russians were coming and the Red Scare and the communist threat, uh, yeah. McCarthyism and that kind of thing. Um, you know, so Russia was not going to attack, but they kept America. Um, thinking they were so that they could do whatever they wanted as far as foreign policy was concerned. If you kind of look around your country now, <laughs> you kind of <laughs> well, see where this is, you know, kind of, kind of present. Yeah. A lot of us, a lot of the stuff in here is kind of, mm-hmm. well, that, that was what my nephew brought up was that how this movie potentially speaks to current state of maybe not necessarily the foreign policy, but with respect to um, uh, news and how it's disseminated, freedom of the press, uh, influence of the White House on presidential affairs right. with respect to freedom of yeah. So apparently, it's 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 a very timely movie based on a historical uh, event, yeah, a series of events. And yeah. there's the whole thing in there where uh, the New York Times actually gets the documents first, and. Um, they announced that they're going to release all this, and the U.S. government, the Attorney General, sends down a cease and desist, saying you can't release this for national security reasons. Well, uh, yeah, I believe Tom the concern Hanks, was, yeah. Well, go ahead. No, I believe there was a concern that it could uh, affect and endanger American citizens. Right? right, that's kind of one of the one of the the kind of things that they lean on. I, I think that's part of the American law. Like if, if the press reports something that's going to get American Americans killed, yeah. Or could lead to that, then they have to. They can't. They at least have to wait. Yeah. And right. Tom Hanks makes the point that, well, the government's trying to tell us what we can and can't report, and that's censorship, and that's no better than the than the commies. Yeah, yeah. It goes against the First Amendment rights. Exactly. Freedom so, of speech, etc. Exactly. Um, and that's <laughs> hey, fake news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So. Um. Yeah, so it's very rel- relevant to, to today's sort of modern issue. Plus, you have the whole women's movement as well. Um, well, and I'll then, come and back again, to a little bit later for something specific. But um, you have a you have Meryl Streep who owns the company, uh, the Rand Corporation for the which is the head of the uh, Washington Post. Um, yes, n- not not the not Rand Enterprises from uh, the Iron Fist uh, comic books and movie no. or uh, TV show. No. <laughs> And uh, and it's the 70s, so it's uh, a woman in power of a company that's obviously not uh, looked favorably upon by uh, the men. Yeah, extremely male-dominated. Yep. So there's that struggle, too, as well. Um, what did you think of Tom Hanks? Um, I, th- I thought he was good. I mean, it, you know, he Tom Hanks has set this bar for himself. Okay. That, in my mind, anyway, he set this bar for himself that basically, as long as he meets that, it's it's a damn fine performance. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, he uh, he played the gruff reporter who, who kind of bullheaded, um, I know, you know, I believe what's this is what is right, and so I'm going to do it. Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. I mean, it, it, he there's still a heart to his character that it was like, well, he kind of does consider the little guy like what happens if you know people that work for him go to jail because of what he's about to do right or 
you know, uh, and also respecting uh, uh, Kay Graham um, in the process, right? Like he definitely makes his opinions known and it doesn't want to go above her head, but is kind of willing to. So it's an interesting kind of character there, which is who's he's a, a secondary to a woman in the seventies. Yeah. And, and that, I don't know if that, if the, the real guy was the same way, but it seems to me that maybe there wasn't, uh, there, there might not have been as much of, um, uh, a respect that like the, the movie paints this in the rest of the picture that women are tolerated, not respected in the workplace. Right. Right. Un- unless they're in lower positions, secretary, like they have yeah. the one female reporter. Oh, she's going to go do the Kennedy. Uh, was it the, um, the, the uh, Nixon's daughter's wedding? Nixon's yeah. daughter's wedding. Yeah. So she gets the puff pieces because she's a, a girl. Yeah. Yeah. You she know? has fashion and shoes and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And exactly. There's even one point so, later in the movie where she's on a phone call. You can kind of hear in the background, and she's like, "If you say shoes or weddings to me one more time, I'm hanging up." And it's sort of her taking a stand. Yeah, yeah. So even Which, that minor character gets a gets a moment. I'll so. get back to you later. But, <laughs> um, yeah. What about you? What did you think of Hanks? I, I, I liked Hanks. I, I liked that he. Did, it must have been rough on his throat. Because he, he had to sort of a gruff voice and he talked like this the whole time, which I imagine the guy that he's portraying probably talked like. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is why he's doing it. What I really liked about Tom Hanks in this movie is that he's normally the leading man, right? Yeah. Um, and in this one, he's more of a supporting role. And, I, and he doesn't yeah. he doesn't over he doesn't overtake Meryl Streep. Um, no, no, they work very well together. Yeah, and he doesn't. I think he plays the. Uh, sort of supporting uh, role very, very well. Uh, I think a lot of them do. I think it's sort of an ensemble uh, piece, and it, it, they all do well. Bradley Whitford, who we've seen before, Bruce Greenwood, uh, Matthew Reese, uh, Sarah Paulson, even Bob Odenkirk. Like, they all sort of work together to really tell the story and tell it well. Even uh, not Matt Damon, the lawyer. Oh <laughs> yeah, we lost uh, we last saw him as far as I remember in Battleships. So oh really? Okay, this kid's come a long way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like it. I was even impressed with him too. Um, Actually, yeah, that was that was the first film studies, was it not? No, the first one was Hunger Games. It was in the first season, no, but yes. Oh, first season, yeah, season one callback. Uh, Zach Woods even normally he get he's doing comedies, right? Uh, sure. Uh, he's the other lawyer that works with not Matt Damon. Oh, okay. Like, the last thing I saw him in was the Ghostbusters remake. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was from The Office. Like, he's normally a comedic actor. He kind of plays the straight man or, or slightly weirdo. Oh, okay. But in this one, he uh, kudos to him. He, he played it straight. And he's like, no, no, this is this is the law. And, like, he, like, basically his buddy brings in a friend, right? So the two lawyers together trying to sort this out. And uh, he does a great job. Like, they're just playing. Like, you're not getting any comedy. Right. Which sounds like a bad thing, but in this movie, it's a very serious topic. So, and there's a bunch of serious topics going on. Yeah, you do. You do so. get some some comedy levity in here, but in the right spots. Um, uh, Bob Odenkirk, I think, really they they kind of give him that, that heavy lifting. Yeah, uh, Meryl Streep. Oh, phenomenal! Yeah, I agree. It just uh, where she really, really captured that sense of this woman walking the line between business woman and then kind of like um uh, dege- not dejected but you know lonely house i don't say housewife but she 
she still has that that those housewife tendencies from back in that era of dinner's over the men start talking politics oh ladies that's our cue that's the big scene for me where she actually yeah, yeah. kind of instinctively even in her own home i think is i think that was at her place i think so yeah instinctively just gets up and goes into the parlor room with the other women so she's like this is my role here at home but then when she's at work no no i'm in charge yeah right she didn't have a husband to play off of but and then I think that really the scene there where she's trying to make the decision of whether or not uh, to release the information. Yeah. Um, and somebody's, you know, one of the guys speaks up and she turns and she goes, I am talking to Mr. So-and-so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of her sort of, you know, staking her, putting her foot down, staking her claim on her own company. Type. Right. That, that was Michael St- uh, Stolberg, the guy I pointed out from before. Oh, okay. He's the one who's kind of like the main antagonist in the office. Right. The one who's not willing to take the risks because it's going to affect the public offering and the bottom line, and he's business, business, spreadsheet business. Right. Yeah, that's Michael Stolberg. Okay. And if you watched him, yeah, exactly. And that's you go watch Men in Black Three, then watch that. It's like two different people altogether. Okay. And that's the point, right? So, um, but but you're right. Yeah, that, that's a powerful scene where she puts her foot down, and says, "It, you know what? It's my company, and she hasn't given over control. There's no fifty-one percent devoter down." Right. She just she recognized the decision is all hers, and she makes it. And you know, yeah, it it did. She did a great job of being powerful when she needed to be, and then vulnerable. Right. Right. I'm just like, uh, and and I don't even mean vulnerable as a woman. I mean as a person. Just yeah. It it all comes down to me. Any one person in that position would have had the same struggle, whether it's a guy, a man, or a woman. Yeah. Right. She knew there was a kind of a duty to the to the American public to publish these, but at the same time, she had a duty to her employees, to the company, you know, to keep them out of jail. <laughs> yeah, pretty and much, to, yeah, and to keep them making money. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what did you think of her? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I thought she did very, very well. Yeah, no, like even though it's, it's a it's an ensemble thing, um, she still stands out, uh, and I think it's written to be an ensemble thing too. Um, because yeah, they don't really focus on hers too, too much. The one thing about hers, I will say that I think uh, she's got a great chance of winning the best Oscar for uh, actress. Um, not necessarily, but because of her. But I think that the uh, the movie, like every movie, is a product of of its time. Okay. okay. Uh, we have the big Me Too movement going on, and everything, and all the sexual harassment that has come out. Um, it's been a big deal at the Golden Globes, and it's been a big deal at every award show, and everyone's speaking out. Oprah spent a lot of time talking about it during her uh, win at the Golden Globes, right? Um, and I, there's a lot of things in this movie that I think will appeal to that particular political movement, and mm-hmm. the Oscars are always very political. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll agree and disagree with you on that point. Um I mean, I, I agree that you're right. It's going to speak to a lot of people in that regard. The weird thing is, I think this movie would have been more or less in the can and just gone to editing by the time the movement really picked up. I mean, they weren't shooting in like well, when did this when when the Me Too started showing up in what September October? You know, it started earlier. Harvey Weinstein started about April. Was it April? Yeah, around the spring or so. Um, okay, but so- but I mean, they would have been partway through filming though. Would have been sure, but at least the at least the script written. Do you know what I mean? Like right, right. But I mean, but there was a couple of things in here that I think will appeal to that. Number one is the fact that she's a woman, 
who owns a company in the 70s, which was not uh, the norm. We talked about that. Um, two, it's Meryl Streep, so she's usually in uh, getting a front runner for best actress anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they, they've got her chair, the same chair every year, I would yeah, imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's right on the aisle. Yeah. Um, and But there was the one scene that I thought was almost a little... I understand why they were doing it, and I'm not knocking the film for it. Um, but there was uh, there was the scene where she was leaving the courthouse after giving her testimony against the Supreme Court. Uh, yes, yes, yes. You remember what I'm talking about? She's walking down the stairs, and there is a long line of young women looking at her with awe and reverence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I'm not saying she doesn't deserve the Best Actress nomination, but I think... My big thing about the Oscars is that they're way too political. Mm. Um, and and they not... A lot, the, my big problem with the Oscars, and we sort of talked about it before, is they don't pick the best movies. Because the movies are there to make money. That's their sole purpose. Yeah. Right? They're not to be entertaining. They're not to be artsy. They're not... Some of them, the directors maybe, but the reason we see them is because the studios release it. Uh, and they're yeah, there. The studio, yeah, they, they fund it and they release it because they want to get a return. Right, exactly. So to me, the best when you talk about best picture, and you leave out major movies like Star Wars, like The Avengers, uh, mm-hmm. like Spider Man Homecoming, uh, like It, uh, that made a lot of money and, and 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 were very successful, and a lot of people went to see. Yeah, that's that. That unfortunately is. Uh, it's not right to me. You know, like there's movies like Call Me By Your Name. I'm sure it's a fantastic movie. I haven't seen it. Um, but it was released in late, late 2018. Limited screenings. You know, maybe only a few hundred people saw it. Yeah. But it was the right hundred people who saw it. It's kind of like the American election. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, know, and yet. A lot you know, of people voted time- for Hillary, but the right people voted for Trump. You know what I mean? There you go. No, you're you're right. And then on the flip side, you, you know, every time Vin Diesel gets behind the the wheel of a car, it's it's a it's like a half billion dollar enterprise. Yeah, and that's on the input. That's what's coming back at you. So you know, I don't think Vin Diesel necessarily deserves an Oscar, but I think his movies. I, they I may, don't necessarily they think may, that it, movies it, like Star Wars or Spider Man Spider Man Homecoming deserve to be Best Picture, but I do believe they be, uh, they, they they belong in the conversation. Yeah, because of just the sheer amount. Yeah, the amount of enjoyment that I mean, if if you go pay whatever your local theater is charging, mm-hmm. and then you'll go pay again, what does that tell you about the movie? Yeah, well, it's 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 the experience. Yeah, but there's caveats to that too. <laughs> Star Wars fans saying, will see it four times in theaters just because it's Star Wars. But if they it's didn't not a mark have of a good quality. time, well, if they didn't have a good time. You can bet there's a lot of people this time around that only saw it once. Uh, I know a few people who didn't enjoy it and saw it twice. A few people. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a few people in my circle of friends, and I'm pretty sure everyone listening has those friends too. Okay. Let's take Star Wars out of the conversation. <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll go. No, we'll go back to a Fast and Furious. Yeah, sure. In the, the beginning, it, it really it really spoke to the to the drag racing people early on. Now it's just some weird, like a Universal Park stunt show. Yeah. But, I mean, it's making money hand over fist. Yeah. Because well, people are having like, a good time. Um, like, like even James McAvoy was left out of the best Oscar. Um, and I believe oh, that, and I believe that's because it was a horror movie and because it was M. Oh, Night that's Shyamalan. that's too bad. 
That you, that's a great example. And that yeah. is a severe overlook because I think he did such a fantastic job in that movie. Uh, the kids in it were overlooked, and I think that's uh, a, a, an overlook because they don't want the kids at the Oscars. They want the big stars. You know, they want Woody Harrelson. You know, they want Tom Hanks. You know, they don't yeah. care about the kids in, from it or, or James McAvoy. <laughs> he, he's a comic book hero guy. Um, yeah, yeah, I played Professor X. So what? What the hell do we care about him? Yeah, for? exactly. You know, so. That's why I think it's, and that's why I think Meryl Streep's got a good chance of winning. Now, I haven't seen Lady Bird. I haven't seen Call Me by Your Name. I haven't seen a lot of the movies that are up for Best Picture. Um, I'll try to bring them up here. Hey, Shape, Shape of Water. Yeah, I haven't seen Shape of Water. Um, now, see, that's an that's an interesting part of the conversation because that is kind of a more genre film. It's it it is science fiction. Yeah. This idea of a creature it is from the fiction, deep, but I from the tone of the movie is very Oscarish, isn't it? Is it not? Oh, it's artsy. Yeah. It's yeah, which it has to cross that line to even be considered. Which are, now I think they threw it a bone with a nomination. I would be very surprised if it wins. Yeah, well, that's the thing is uh, is Midgard Mo uh, texted me, and I happened to be watching the 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 Oscar nominations when they were, came out. Um, he said, "Oh, um, you should uh, you should be happy. Uh, Get Out was nominated for Best Picture." I'm like, "That's fantastic. Too bad it won't win." Yeah, you know, like yeah. you got comedy. Yeah. Best picture is Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. How many of those are based on a true story? Well, how many of those are how many of those are dramas? All but one. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no comedy in there. There's no there's no action. There's no comic book. Yeah, there's no like it's all and like even lead actor, call me by your name, Phantom Thread, uh, the 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 guy from Get Out got a nomination there, which is great. But he's up against Gary Oldman and Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington got one for Roman J. Israel Esquire. Have you heard anybody uh, talk about that movie? No, not no. yet. You know why he got nominated? Because Denzel. Washington. Because he's Denzel Washington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, the most the most action you're going to find is Dunkirk. Uh, yeah, but that's but it, that falls under the war thing, right? It's it's his, historical drama, yeah. right? Like if if it's based on a real, I mean, I I can almost tell you your front runners in the post Dunkirk and uh, um, uh, the one with, with uh, Gary Oldman there. Oh, Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour. If yeah. you can get a, a hist- like historical drama based on true events, that I think that instantly puts you in the front row yeah. of that crowd. Yeah, like aside from Get Out, I'm looking through the list of uh, of, of movies that were even nominated. Animated feature, and this is going to turn into the Oscar podcast, but still, we don't talk about the Oscars much. So, <laughs> um, animated feature, <laughs> best animated feature: The Breadwinner, Coco, Ferdinand, Loving Vincent, and The Boss Baby. What? The Boss oh. Baby. This is what everyone's freaking out about. I haven't seen The Boss Baby, so I can't <laughs> judge it. But I mean, this was a, a year where Lego Batman came out. Essentially, they said everything but Lego Batman and the Emoji Movie. Pretty much, you know. And Lego Batman was good. Lego Batman was good. I'm sure it was better than the Boss Baby. Had oh, a better hell. premise, anyway. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going through here. Best adapted screenplay. I see. Okay, there's the first two movies that I really recognize: The Disaster Artist and Logan. And that's under Ooh, and that's under adapted screen- screenplay. Okay. Yes. Yes, I can see that. But I mean, like the so, big sick uh, was only nominated for original screenplay. Ah, uh, 
right? Like I, I thought that one would be up here for best picture. You know? Man, that's too bad because I was, uh, I, I best supporting actor Ray Romano. Yeah, like uh, at least me. Okay, you don't want to give Kamal and Johnny credit, fine, but give Ray Romano credit for doing comedy for ninety nine percent of his life and then knocks it out of the park here. Yeah. Like you just you you go through these categories and it's the same movies over and over again. Yeah, it's don't get me wrong. It's nice to see Logan. I mean, when they say adapted, though, it is very loosely adapted. <laughs> yeah. That is that is not the old man Logan story, to be honest. No. Don't get me wrong. I love that movie, but it's not old man Logan as portrayed in the comic book. So no. they adapted the fuck out of it. Yeah, and that's all that means. It's like it's best non original yep. story. That's all it is. Um, yeah. Well, thank God Fifty Shades didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, it, and that, and that's my problem with the Oscars is that, unfortunately, you have all of this stuff. Like, even I, Tanya is getting a lot of... Um, really? Like, lead actress for Margot Robbie. Oh. Um, I haven't seen I, Tanya. I hear it's She's really not going to win. I hear it's, I hear it's really good. Uh, but she's up against Frances McDormand from Three Billboards, Meryl Streep from The Post. Um, I know Midcard Mo, uh, Sally Hawkins from The Shape of Water. Mm, and, Sally Hawkins uh, was really good, and uh, Mo really likes uh, Lady Bird. Uh, so Sori's uh, Ronan uh, plays the young girl. Nat again, I haven't seen it. I don't know, mm-hmm. but I got to figure that's uh, they nominated Margot Robbie for the same reason they got Den- Denzel Washington is to get them to the Oscars. Kind of a Jennifer Lawrence thing. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, supporting actor Sam Rockwell for uh, three billboards. That's good. No, I'm not surprised. Um, yeah, it's just that it's yeah, and that's the, and that's my thing. So, <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, it is pr- uh, prudent to talk about that when we're talking about this movie because this is a, I mean, a combination of excellent performances gelling together to create a believable conversation. Yeah, like like the the walk and talk, the 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 way it's put together by Spielberg, the the way it's the post has uh, you know things like all the eidetic noise of a, an old school newspaper room, yeah. typewriters. I don't know where they found that many typewriters. That <laughs> 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 they must have scombed, uh, scoured the earth, scombed, to, uh, scoured and combed. When you scour and comb, you scombed. There we go. <laughs> they went uh, <laughs> to uh, they hired uh, Br- uh, Brandy and Jarrett, or Jared from uh, Storage Wars. I guess so. We yeah. need as many typewriters as you can find. Go. <laughs> yeah, and and even just talking over, like people talking over people, like it makes it seem like a more natural. Yeah, you know, as opposed to in movies when everyone has to ha- has the floor every time they want to say anything. Yeah, uh, one scene in particular is a good part of that is the one where they're going through all of the uh, pages of the report and they're not in order. Oh yeah, so when they're the, at uh, Ben Ben Bradley's house. Yeah, so the so the so when they're they're reading things out and they're like, okay, well, who has the you know page three of this and I'm looking for it. And, oh, I think that guy over there has that, and I'm looking for this, and oh, I have that here. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was that was a great scene and really well put together. The one thing I will like, I, I do like, and I don't know if it's real or not, but when Richard Nixon was in office, uh, he secretly taped all of the conversations he had in the White House. Yes, right. Very famous story. Um, and throughout the movie, anytime there was any kind of government, you needed to know the, the stance of the government, you heard Richard Nixon's voice. That Those were real. Were those real? I, yep. I, 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 th- I thought those were real um, 
like from the actual tapes themselves. Like or, transcripts? Or they were re-recorded with a Nixon impressionist reading from the transcripts. Now, my understanding is that those were real excerpts. So Spielberg worked in, like at the Spielberg, end when yeah, he, so he's got the cloud to get those. Uh, yeah, if there's anyone can get those. Yeah, I mean, and, and so he did that. Especially at the end, there's one where he talks about banning the post from any White House, anything. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that is actually Richard. That's why they shot it instead of with an impersonator. Well, they had an impersonator visually. Yeah, with the back of his head. Right, and yeah, so just about so we get that feeling that we are kind of. You know, we're we're a little bit of a voyeur into the White House because we get to hear what he's saying, yeah, and then see uh, at least a representation of him. So, yeah, those are real. Yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. And then, of course, we see at the end um, the beginnings of the Watergate scandal. Well, which the, I thought was a little Hollywood <laughs> to throw that ending in, but you know, whatever, it happened. Yeah, they they say that. Uh, I've been hearing, you know, uh, th- so this is not my idea, but the idea, uh, I heard this on other podcasts, the idea that uh, this could be kind of a spiritual prequel to All the President's Men. Okay. Which is all, yeah, so if you watch the post and then All the President's Men, it pretty much makes one long story about about Nixon. Right. So starting with the post exposing the Vietnam scandal and then going right into Watergate. Because I, be- I believe All the President's Men, from my understanding, is that it opens with there's been a break-in at whatever the address was. Yeah, the Watergate Hotel. Yeah. The Watergate Hotel. Yeah, there's been a uh, yeah, so it starts where this movie ends. See, I kind of thought this was a setup for the post sequel, the post 2 Watergate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even post year. Even post year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Die Hard Postal, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's some there's some really uh, other good um I like Bruce Greenwood's character, Robert McNamara. He's basically the guy who initiated this whole study. He was basically trying to do the right thing, but gets kind of villainized for it. Well, he's the one who, yeah, he goes in, but he has to keep it a secret because the government wants him to keep it a secret. Uh, right. If you so don't believe that this to... happens on a daily basis, you're fooling yourself. But yeah. No. So it's a it's an interesting kind of complicated character where it's not he's just a good guy or a bad guy. He's kind of down the middle where he, yeah, he knows the truth, but he can't say anything. Under essentially pain of death, really, and so right, he has to kind of live as if nothing's wrong, even though he knows, you know, that everything's wrong. So but I thought too, that was, but also with the with him keeping quiet, that's keeping secrets from the public, mm-hmm. which is not what he, not what the public expects him to do. No, no, exactly. So it just brings a different layer to that to that character where yeah. he, he he's like, you can feel he's always on the fence about what to do. Yeah. And trying to hide it. So I thought that was kind of an interesting kind of just little subtle thing. Yeah. With that character. Yeah. Yeah. Very enjoyable watch. Mark's final thoughts and ratings? Um, well, I mean, uh, you know, like I said at the top, I'm not really the history buff. Didn't really know much about this. So I did learn stuff. <laughs> right. Uh, which, I mean, you know, if you tell a good story, then you've learned something about the characters, about the environment, about the what's going on. And I think that that this movie definitely accomplished that in in style. Uh, everything from the look, like this, any of your period piece awards, whatever you want to call it, like if costume design or whatever, like that usually go to whatever's set in Victorian England. Yeah. This should be Beauty considered beast, because, yeah. yeah, this this should be considered for those awards because, I mean, it took you back to, and my sister who I went with, she's older than I am, and she goes, yeah, I remember some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, she was she was young when a lot of it happened. She goes, I remember, though, seeing some of those TV broadcasts and because they would get repeated on Canadian television every once in a while. Yeah. 
because uh, you know they're our neighbors, and so she goes. And and uh, but even so much the style and everything. She goes, yeah, <laughs> the wood panel tr- uh, uh, station wagons, and you know, it was the wood age, yeah, yeah. the wood, yeah, yeah, everything like that. So she, uh, I mean, she enjoyed it. My nephew enjoyed it more so than I because for different reasons. But I did actually enjoy it. Don't get me wrong; I'm not going to last Jedi this and go back a few more times. But right, yeah. right. But I tell you what, though, if uh, th- if I'm flicking around the tube and this comes on, I- I'd probably stick around. Okay, ratings? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it um, a solid uh, seven and a half uh, bricks that you have to somehow mold into letters to create the print on the pa- <laughs> on the master copy. That was kind of neat. Yeah, sort of an insight to how newspapers are made. I know. I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll agree. This was, uh, this was enjoyable, um, and I'm not one for dramas and end of the year Oscar bait movies, but this one was enjoyable. Um, it was entertaining. How true is it? We, we'll probably never know, um, because there's a lot of behind the scenes thing that I'm sure they're making up for Hollywood <laughs> entertainment purposes. But uh, at the same time, like I said, um, very well acted, great ensemble cast. That aside, um, and I would probably go. Yeah, I'm going to go pretty pretty high on this one. I'm going to go eight and a half, uh, banging typewriters out of ten. <laughs> I, I, I was going to do <laughs> the other one. I was going to do was falling dimes. Falling dimes. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I, and yeah, so this is really good. Uh, so coming up, uh, we have another one uh, that just came out early, early October uh, in 2018. Uh, we're going to check out Molly's Game. Yeah, you and I have played a bit of poker, so it'll be kind of fun to see, uh, you know, kind of the the dirty dealings of what goes on in the high stakes games of, uh, you know. The, the that, seedy uh, undergrounds we, of Hollywood, yeah. Yeah, the places we don't go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you've, uh, if you've seen this here, uh, you can uh, let us know Canadian movie crew at gmail.com tweet at us at can movie crew, of course, find us on Facebook. And of course, uh, if you had, if you don't know already, we're also on many, uh, streaming applications. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, um, player, player FM. FM. Um, and I think that's, that's the majority of them. Uh, you can look for <laughs> us there. We'll try to get on more and more as we go on. Uh, so Mark, thanks very much for coming out. Always a pleasure. And I'm uh, Sean Taylor, guys. We'll see you on the next Film Studies coming soon.